Welcome everyone to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, which is published by our very dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. There you'll also see an option to subscribe for a most excellent daily email with both our text reading and the lesson for the day from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lee Flynn. This call is Monday through Friday from 9.15 to 10.45 a.m. Eastern. Today we continue with Chapter 19, Beyond the Body, with Section 3, Sin versus Error. We're also mindful of today's lesson 214 from Review 6 and its review of Lesson 194. I place the future in the hands of God as um, as uh, is the case throughout this review. We wrap that thought in the overriding thought, I am not a body. I am free for I am still as God created me. Lori, what have you selected as an opening this morning? Oh, I just love this poem um, today. Wherever I see it, it seems to be titled, Be Grateful. And it goes like this. Whatever happens to you, don't fall in despair. Even if all the doors are closed, a secret path will be there for you that no one knows. You can't see it yet, but so many paradises are at the end of this capital P path. Be grateful. It's easy to think after obtaining what you want. Think before having what you want. Be grateful. Shams Jabrizi. Very nice. Thank you, Lori. Thanks, Lori. Thanks. So nice. Okay. With us this morning, everyone in reading is Lemoyne, Lori, Harrison, Karen, Robin Marie, Jessica, and Yvonne. Who else has joined us that would like to read? Or just say good morning. Uh, Patricia here. I'm available to read. Thank you. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks. Good morning. It's Kristen. I'll be with you. Hi, Kristen. Is that everyone? Okay, from Chapter 19, Beyond the Body, Section 3, Sin versus Error. It is essential that error be not confused with sin, and it is this distinction which makes salvation possible. For error can be corrected and the wrong made right, but sin, were it possible, 
would be irreversible. The belief in sin is necessarily based on the firm conviction that minds, not bodies, can attack, and thus the mind is guilty and will forever so remain unless a mind not part of it can give it absolution. Sin calls for punishment as error for correction, and the belief that punishment is correction is clearly insane. Lemoyne. Chapter 19, Beyond the Body. Section 3, Sin versus Error. It is essential that error be not confused with, quote, sin, unquote. And it is this distinction which makes salvation possible. For error can be corrected and the wrong made right. But sin, were it possible, would be irreversible. The belief in sin is necessarily based on the firm conviction that mind, not bodies, can attack. And thus the mind is guilty and will forever so remain unless a mind not part of it can give it absolution. Sin calls for punishment as error for correction. And the belief that punishment is correction is clearly insane. Sin is not an error, for sin entails an arrogance which the idea of error lacks. To sin would be to violate reality and to succeed. Sin is the proclamation that attack is real and guilt is justified. It assumes the Son of God is guilty and has thus succeeded in losing his innocence and making himself what God created not. Thus is creation seen as not eternal and the will of God open to opposition and defeat. Sin is the, quote, grand illusion, unquote, underlying all the ego's grandiosity. For by it, God himself is changed and rendered incomplete. Thank you, Lemoyne. Lori? 18. Sin is not an error, for sin entails an arrogance, which the idea of error lacks. To sin would be to violate reality and to succeed. Sin is the proclamation that attack is real and guilt is justified. It assumes the Son of God is guilty and has thus succeeded in losing his innocence and making himself what God created not. Thus is creation not seen as eternal, or thus is creation seen as not eternal, and the will of God open to opposition and defeat. Sin is the so-called grand delusion underlying all the ego's grandiosity, for by it, God himself is changed and rendered incomplete. 19. The Son of God can be mistaken. He can deceive himself. He can even turn the power of his mind against himself. 
but he cannot sin. There's nothing he can do that would really change his reality in any way, nor make him really guilty. That is what sin would do, for such is its purpose. Yet for all the wild insanity inherent in the whole idea of sin, it is impossible. For the wages of sin is death, and how can the immortal die? Thank you, Laurie. Harrison. The Son of God can be mistaken. He can deceive himself. He can even turn the power of his mind against himself. But he cannot say. There is nothing he can do that would really change his reality in any way that make him really guilty. That is what sin would do, for such is its purpose. For, yeah, for all the wild insanity inherent in the whole idea of sin, it is impossible. For the wages of sin is death, and how can the immortal die? Twenty. A major tenet in the ego's insane religion is that sin is not error, but truth, and it is innocent that would deceive. Purity is seen as arrogance. And the acceptance of the truth, I'm sorry, the purity is seen as arrogance and the acceptance of the self as sinful is perceived as holiness. And it is this doctrine which replaces the reality of the Son of God as his father created him and will that he be forever. Is this humility or is it rather an attempt to wrest creation away from truth and keep it separate? Thank you, Harrison. Karen? 20. A major tenet in the ego's insane religion is that sin is not error but truth, and it is innocence that would deceive. Purity is seen as arrogance, and the acceptance of the self as sinful is perceived as holiness. And it is this doctrine which replaces the reality of the Son of God as his Father created him and willed that he be forever. Is this humility or is it rather an attempt to wrest creation away from truth and keep it separate? 21. 
Any attempt to reinterpret sin as error is always indefensible to the ego. The idea of sin is wholly sacrosanct to its thought system and quite unapproachable except through reverence and awe. It is the most so-called holy concept in the ego system, lovely and powerful, wholly true, and necessarily protected with every defense at its disposal. For here lies its, quote, best, unquote, defense, which all the others serve. Here is its armor, its protection, and the fundamental purpose of the special relationship in its interpretation. Thank you, Karen. Robin Marie. Twenty-one. Any attempt to reinterpret sin as error is always indefensible to the ego. The idea of sin is wholly sacrosanct to its thought system and quite unapproachable except through reverence and awe. It is the most, quote, holy, unquote, concept in the ego system, lovely and powerful, wholly true, and necessarily protected with every defense at its disposal. Here lies its, quote, best, unquote, defense, which all the others serve. Here is its armor, its protection, and the fundamental purpose of the special relationship in its interpretation. 22. It can indeed be said the ego made its world on sin. Only in such a world could everything be upside down. This is the strange illusion which makes the clouds of guilt seem heavy and impenetrable. The solidness this world's foundation seems to have is found in this. For sin has changed creation from an idea of God to an ideal the ego wants, a world it rules, made of both bodies, mindless and capable of complete corruption and decay. If this is a mistake, it can be undone easily by truth. Any mistake can be corrected if truth be left to judge it. But if the mistake is given the status of truth, to what can it be brought? The, quote, holiness, unquote, of sin is kept in place by just this strange device. As truth, it is inviolate, and everything is brought to it. For judgment. As a mistake, it must be brought to truth. It is impossible to have faith in sin, for sin is faithlessness. Yet it is possible to have faith that a mistake can be corrected. Thank you, Robin Marie. Jessica. Thanks, Lee. 22. It can indeed be said the ego made its world on sin. Only in such a world could everything be upside down. This is the strange illusion which makes the clouds of guilt seem heavy and impenetrable. The solidness 
this world's foundation seems to have is found in this. For sin has changed creation from an idea of God to an ideal the ego wants, a world it rules, made up of bodies, mindless and capable of complete corruption and decay. If this is a mistake, it can be undone easily by truth. Any mistake can be corrected if truth be left to judge it. But if the mistake is given the status of truth, to what can it be brought? The, quote, holiness of sin is kept in place by just this strange device. As truth, it is inviolate, and everything is brought to it for judgment. As a mistake, it must be brought to truth. It is impossible to have faith in sin, for sin is faithlessness. Yet it is possible to have faith that a mistake can be corrected. 23. There is no stone in all the ego's embattled citadel more heavily defended than the idea that sin is real, the natural expression of what the Son of God has made himself to be and what he is. To the ego, this is no mistake, for this is its reality. This is the so-called truth from which escape will always be impossible. This is his past, his present, and his future. For he has somehow managed to corrupt his father and changed his mind completely. Mourn then the death of God, whom sin has killed. And this would be ego's wish. This would be the ego's wish which in its madness it thinks it has accomplished. Thank you, Jessica. Yvonne. Thank you, Lee. 23. There is no stone in all the egos embattled citadel more heavily defended than the idea that sin is real the natural expression of what the Son of God has made himself to be and what he is. To the ego, this is no mistake, for this is its reality. This is the, quote, truth from which escape will always be impossible. This is his past, his present, and his future. For he has somehow managed to corrupt his father and changed his mind completely. Mourn then the death of God, whom sin has killed, explanation point. And this would be the ego's wish, which in its madness it thinks it has accomplished. Would you not rather that all this be nothing more than a mistake, entirely correctable, and so easily escaped from, that its whole correction is like walking through a mist into the sun? For that is all it is. Perhaps you would be tempted to agree with the ego that it is better to be sinful than mistaken. 
yet think you carefully before you allow yourself to make this choice. Approach it not lightly, for it is the choice of heaven, excuse me, for it is the choice of hell or heaven. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. And Patricia. Would you not rather that all this be nothing more than a mistake? Entirely correctable? Entirely correctable? And so easily escaped from that its whole correction is like walking through a mist into the sun. For that is all it is. For that is all it is. Perhaps you would be tempted to agree. To agree with the ego that it is far better to be sinful than mistaken. Yet think you carefully before you allow yourself to make this choice. Approach it not lightly, for it is, it is the choice of hell or heaven. Thank you, Patricia. To recap then from chapter 19, Beyond the Body, section 3, Sin versus Error. From that first paragraph, it is essential that error be not confused with sin, and it is this distinction which makes salvation possible. For error can be corrected, and the wrong made right, but sin, were it possible, would be irreversible. Sin calls for punishment, as error for correction. And the belief that punishment is correction is clearly insane. From 18, sin is not an error. To sin would be to violate reality and to succeed. It assumes the Son of God is guilty and has thus succeeded in losing his innocence and making of himself what God created not. Thus is the will of God open to opposition and defeat. From 19, the Son of God can be mistaken. He can deceive himself. He can even turn the power of his mind against himself. But he cannot sin. There's nothing he can do that would really change his reality in any way, nor make him really guilty. 20. A major tenet in the ego's insane religion is that sin is not error, but truth. And it is innocence that would deceive. Purity is seen as arrogance. And the acceptance of the self as sinful is perceived as holiness. From 21, any attempt to reinterpret sin 
as error is always indefensible to the ego. The idea of sin is wholly sacrosanct to its thought system. From 22, it can indeed be said the ego made its world on sin. Only in such a world could everything be upside down. For sin has changed creation from an idea of God to an ideal the ego wants, the world it rules. The holiness, the quote, holiness of sin is kept in place by just this strange device. As truth, it is inviolate, and everything is brought to it for judgment. As a mistake, it must be brought to truth. 23. There is no stone in all the egos embattled citadel more heavily defended than the idea that sin is real the natural expression of what the Son of God has made himself to be and what he is. From 24, would you rather, would you not rather that all this be nothing more than a mistake, entirely correctable and so easily escaped from that its whole correction is like walking through a mist into the sun? For that is all it is. It is the choice of hell or heaven. Amen. The floor is open. Lee here. Good oh, good. Um, who's that? Karen. Um, it's Karen. I was just going to say that, oh, how I wish someone had shown me this passage 30 years ago. I used to have the book, The Last Tem- uh, Temptation of Christ or something. It's all about self-flagellation and never being able to purify yourself because you're so wretched and horrible. And this is the the greatest gift in the world to know that you can't usurp the authority of God. And God created us. He created us pure and holy. And we can't change that by our ego minds. What a relief. It's the greatest relief there is. I mean, um, to be told that that, that interpretation is insane that um, the ego believes that sin, in sin, it has beaten God by changing his creation and that nothing can change what God created to be real. Um, ego's grandiosity believes that it can change what God made. It's also telling us that 
one of the ego's greatest defenses against the truth is the belief in sin. And that is so obvious that sin is its reality. Um, through sin, it justifies judgment and it separates and punishes its faithlessness. It is the um, example of faithlessness, the ultimate example of faithlessness, because sin represents the death of God. And um, paragraph 18, sin is not an error, for sin entails an arrogance, which the idea of error lacks. Sin would be to violate reality and to succeed. Sin is the proclamation that attack is real and guilt is justified. It assumes that the Son of God is guilty and he has succeeded in losing his innocence, making himself what God created not. Um, thus is creation seen as not eternal and the will of God open to opposition and defeat. Sin is the grand illusion underlying all the ego's grandiosity, for by it God himself is changed and rendered incomplete. I am so grateful that, that, that this teaching explains this to us and corrects the mind that I was taught all my life. I mean, I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school. Uh, you know, sin, sin was the creed, especially original wow. sin. I mean, we didn't even have a chance before. <laughs> I'm complete with you. That was really full. Thank you, Karen. Oh, thank you, Karen. This is Lana. And when I think about my, um, up, uh, you know, I, I share a lot about being such a fearful child and <laughs> my experience of being raised Catholic. And, and, and I should say up front that this, that, has, that whole experience has been healed and I'm at peace with all that. But um, that, like you said, Karen, I mean, we're, we're taught we're born into sin. We didn't even do anything. We just showed up as a sinner. And I like where Jesus refers to the ego's version of the holiness of sin. And um, because I think uh, not only in the Catholic faith, but in all Christian doctrines, it's, it's like you have to acknowledge you are a sinner. You're taught that in order to have redemption. So <laughs> I have to, you know, as a child, I had, to, I mean, that was just um, pounded into my mind that I am a sinner. And in order to be forgiven and to be redeemed, that I need to acknowledge that. And and so it was a given. You know, it was just a given. And, and I often share that the one gift, uh, the main gift that this course gave to me was the return of my innocence. And it, was, it wasn't long ago. You know, I thought I was having, I don't even know what the situation was, but I was feeling guilty and had feelings of unworthiness. And then it came into my mind, it was like, oh my God, I still believe sin's real. For how could I feel guilt and unworthiness if I didn't have a belief in sin? But um, I think the course of love kind of 
uh, expounds on that in, in letting me know that the reminding me that the ego is not real. It, it doesn't exist. It's not a factor anymore. And but the pattern is there. The pattern of thinking as a sinner. And um, but also to coming to the recognition and. It, the interval of time grows shorter and shorter when the next thing that pops into my mind is, no, you were only mistaken. You were only mistaken. And and that sort of diffuses the whole horror of the idea that I still believe I'm a sinner. And, and of course, that if I believe I'm a sinner, and um, then I see all my brothers as sinners as well, you know, it's, it's well one big party. <laughs> and, and it goes back to when we were reading a few days ago. The only way uh, I can even conceive of that idea is to see myself and my brothers as bodies rather than spirit. If I see my, bo- my brothers and myself as bodies, then, um, you know, I don't, I, I kind of block off that innocence heart that innocence which is our truth and um because bodies do all sorts of crazy crap you know <laughs> and um and and bodies uh through the ego's control will judge and um, condemn and um miss the whole truth of everything and i in which one final thing i love the first sentence and i think it's um let me put the glasses on, in 22, where it says, it can indeed be said that the ego made its world. And that really um, brings to mind, too, that the world I see through the ego thought system is not the real world. It's not the world God loves and gave to his son. It's the ego's world. And when I'm identified with that thought system, that's the world I see, one of guilt and shame and unworthiness. Um, it reflects the whole idea of sin. And um, so, again, it's just, you know, it's a misidentification of self. I'm either Christ or I'm an ego's version of a body with a false identity. And and it, it seems to, no matter what I'm reading in the course, it always goes back to that, um, that it all lies in all my pain, physical, emotional, the pain I perceive in my brothers in the world. It all goes back to a misidentification of who I truly am and who my brothers truly are. And so um, for me, that's where the healing, that's where the undoing of the mistaking, the misperception of uh, the truth of me and everyone else um, can be healed. Um, when I see that, oops, I did it again. It's no more than that, like that Britney Spears song. <laughs> oops, I did it again. I don't have to feel bad or guilty about it. I just need to let it go through forgiveness and return to peace. So I'm complete. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Anna. Thanks, dear. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Lana. Thank you, Lana. Wow. Thanks, dear. Lee with just a quick thought. Morning, Micah. Oh, hey, good morning. Um, it's hey, 
So just a, a quick thought, a quick early thought on this section. Um, as a takeoff on that wonderful sentence you like the opening of 22, Lana, it can indeed be said, the ego made its world on sin. Only in such a world could everything be upside down. I like what that features about how it describes the ego's world, um, principally because we have one uh, line that's unmuted in particular right now. Um, I like that. I like what it lays out because what it helps me understand is that there is that which the world is beyond my mistaken impressions, misperceptions, and um, errant beliefs about it. And there is what the ego has made of it, the world. And what the ego has made of the world, he can say is upside down from what my mind would come to know of the world were it free of the ego's distortion. And that's the best description I know to come to of what he describes as the ego's world. It's the ego's, um, it's the, like, uh, it's the amalgam <laughs> of my mistaken impressions about the world and yours um, all along the same lines whereby we agree among ourselves uh, that the world is a certain way. And the beauty of the Course is that it comes through and it says, allow me to tell you how much the world you see, Lee, is based on your mistaken impressions of what you are. And allow me to reveal to you, despite your faith in how you see the world, that there's a new version available to your awareness of what you are. And that you'll find that um, there's a matching new version of everything you can see in reflection of what you genuinely are. And that is the world of truth that awaits your awareness. It's the world as God created it instead of as the ego has fashioned it. It's the gift of this life, he tells me in this course. It's the gift of this life seen in truth as the radiant reflection of your own purity. And it's a, a world that stands in reflection of your innocence. And it defies everything the ego has seized upon as its justification for how it sees guilt and condemnation everywhere including uh, inwardly. It removes the ego's faith in, um, in uh, justifiable condemnation, and it introduces the idea that if I could see clearly, there would be no part of me, there would be no part of me that takes pleasure in assigning guilt one of the thought, well, two other actually, just in this brief little something, I, um, I, re I recognize that no idea is um, more resistant 
uh, and resisted uh, by the ego than the idea of purity or innocence. And um, from the standpoint of purity and innocence as the truth of everything, what the Course begins to persuade me of is that everything I've ever done that I've assigned guilt to or everything you've ever done that I assign condemnation to can only have been done out of, um, out of, uh, out of an insane movement of awareness. In other words, I can only have been severely mistaken about anything to act in defiance of my kind nature. If I've done anything unloving, it's because I've taken leave of my senses. And to take leave of my senses makes my action automatically an innocent action. My father and me and my right mind would never assign guilt to something someone has done who has taken leave of their senses. If it's an insane action, and all loving, all unloving actions are insane by their, by their nature, what the Course would have me ask is, how can I assign unforgivable sin to something that is the reflection of a mind's temporary insanity? How would it be that the restoration of the truth to that mind wouldn't release it from all guilt that it holds toward itself for what it did in error? And how could the restoration of awareness of the truth to any mind do other than absolve everyone, anywhere, forever, from um, the idea of sin or lack of their innocence attached to the interpretation of any behavior. Um, this is so radical and so subversive, it does throw the doors open on inviting my heart to reconsider everything that has ever closed my heart off against anyone. And, um, and I'll, I'll just uh, I'll close with... Um, a return to what has been so helpful for me to remember about what he describes to me of why it is the mind is so um, attracted to the idea of sin. Um, and it's this definition to find sin attractive, it seems to me in this course, is to turn away from truth and for me to prefer the ego's fantasy and illusions about everything, the ego's alternative meanings that it assigns to everything and everyone based on a sense of separation, fear, and justifiable condemnation, the ego's preference for its alternative is the attraction of sin as it's described in this course. And lastly, just kind of a fun thing, 
Remember the uh, the aphorism, would you rather be right or happy? Um, in choosing whether to be right or happy, he says the ultimate version of the ego's preferring to be right rather than being led to be happy is for it to insist that its denial of purity and innocence is correct. To insist that its denial of purity and innocence is uh, true and correct. Um, and that's what's mentioned in the first sentence of 20. The major tenet in the ego's insane religion is that sin is not error but truth, and it is innocence that would deceive. Um, when I'm so unwilling to be proven wrong that I'm willing to paint this entire world from a palette of guilt and condemnation rather than be wrong. That's the ultimate to me in choosing to be right rather than allow myself be led to happiness. But I'm, I'm complete. We're at the top of the hour and Fran is uh, swept up in insurance uh, concerns on the heels of that car accident yesterday. And she's fine, wants us, to, wants us to know she's fine. But it does leave uh, an opening for a volunteer to guide us through today's review lesson. I can do it, it's Karen. Thank you, Karen. Okay. This is lesson 214. Review of Lesson 194, I Place the Future in the Hands of God. I am not a body. I am free. For I am as God, still as God created me. I place the future in the hands of God. The past is gone. The future is not yet. Now am I free from both, for what God gives can only be for good, and I accept but what he gives as what belongs to me. Now I'm going to go to Lesson 194 and read some of that. I place the future in the hands of God. Accept today's idea and you have passed all anxieties, all pits of hell, all blackness of depression, thoughts of sin, and devastation brought about by guilt. Accept today's idea, and you have released the world from all imprisonment by loosening the heavy chains that lock the door to freedom. You are saved and your salvation thus becomes the gift you give the world because you have received it. Each instant given unto God is passing with the next one given him already. Is a time of your release from sadness, pain, and even death itself. God holds your future as he holds your past and present. They are one to him, and so they should be one to you. In this world, the temporal progression still seems real, 
And so you are not asked to understand the lack of sequence really found in time. You are but asked to let the future go and place it in God's hands. And you will see by your experience that you have laid the past and present in his hands as well. Release the future, for the past is gone. Time escapes the bondage of illusions. Each instant is transformed into a holy instant when the light that was kept hidden in God's Son is freed to bless the world. Now is he free, and all his glory shines upon a world made free with him to share his holiness. If you can see the lesson for today as the deliverance it really is, you will not hesitate to give as much consistent effort as you can to make it be a part of you as it becomes a thought that rules your mind, a habit in your problem-solving repertoire, a way of quick, quick reaction to temptation. You extend your learning to the world. What worry can beset the one who gives the future, his future to the loving hands of God? What can he suffer What can cause him pain or bring experience of loss to him? What can he fear? And what can he regard except with love? For he has escaped all fear of future pain, has found his way to present peace and certainty of care. The world can never threaten. He is free to choose again when he has been deceived to change his mind when he has made mistakes. Place then your future in the hands of God and thus you call the memory of him to come again, replacing all your thoughts of sin and evil with the truth of love. Who entrusts himself to God has also placed the world within the hands to which he has himself appealed for comfort and security. He lays aside the sick illusions of the world and offers peace to both. In God's hands, we rest untroubled. No longer is the world our enemy, for we have chosen that we be its friend. I place the world... I place the future. I'm sorry, I lost my teeth. I am not a body. I am free. For I am still as God created me. I place the future in the hands of God. The past is gone. The future is not yet. Now am I freed from both. For what God gives can only be for good. And I accept but what he gives as what belongs to me. I am not a body. I am free. For I am still as God created me.
I place the future in the hands of God. Amen. Amen. Beautifully thank you, done. Thank, thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Oh, thank you, Karen. That was lovely. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. This is Harrison. Great to be here, Karen. Thank you very much. Uh, I was uh, looking over the email that Reverend Rachel sends out uh, from the Course in Miracles Society, and uh, she always includes uh, a commentary uh, from Sarah. Um, I can't pronounce Sarah's last name. But anyway, um, in the first paragraph, um, Sarah makes reference to uh, something we read, chapter 18, section uh, 7. And she said that that section describes the ego strategy very clearly telling us that the ego made up a story that we had sent and that it was so horrific we had to flee into the body to try to escape from what we have done. And she quotes from that section, and you have done a stranger thing than you yet realized. You have displaced your guilt to your body from your mind. You have displaced your guilt to your body from your mind. Yet, a body cannot be guilty, for it can do nothing of itself, end quote. And Sarah says, the guilt comes from the belief we have said. So now we try to protect the mind from this thought, which is why the guilt in the mind is projected onto the body and the world. It is all part of a carefully contrived strategy to confuse us about what we are, making us believe that we are a body and not an eternal child of God. The ego does not want us to remember our identity as Christ because that would be its demise since we would no longer give it any power. We would then claim our true identity as the eternal, unlimited self. And as I read that, 
I started to look at my own life, my own experience uh, from a, a religious standpoint. And I remember early on reading um, a narrative. Um, I was in the public schools. I looked back and wondered why they would make us read this. It was uh, a sermon uh, by uh, a man called... Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was a uh, theologian, uh, and he gave the sermon in 1741 in Connecticut. And the name of the sermon, the title of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, now, all you have to do is think about the title and you realize how damning that is. There was a, a vivid image, image, energy of hell. And that uh, if you were a sinner, you were going to be cast in hell. Uh, and uh, and it wasn't a nice place. Uh, so that idea uh, took strong hold in my mind, and it's still prevalent today. Uh, when you listen to, uh, uh, especially fundamentalist preachers. Um, but in more subtle ways in other uh, religious persuasion. So this idea uh, of ours that we are not the Holy Son of God, that we are sinners, uh, and that we are a body, is, uh, is, is, I think, a difficult one, uh, certainly for me, uh, to undo and overcome. I'm complete. Thank you, Harrison. Oh, thank that was you. That great. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you. Thank you, Harrison. Wow, this is Steve, and I'm I'm tweaked in my heart because lately I've just been hearing how see I was not brought up Catholic or Christian, and I'm not saying that I I don't suffer from the download of guilt, the false download, but the extent of the uh, damage. And also the greatness of the recovery of people who are, were Catholic that were told this at such an early age. And then they are, just like my accident has given me a new lease on life. Catholicism for many of us 
I, I, the people that I hear is like, oh, at last they've become free by contrast, this world of contrast, and it makes the water taste that much better when you have the thirst. But my heart is, oh, how, see, being a Jew growing up, we were not fed this original sin, and you're bad, and you need to do this. And my heart just is, oh, and and also, I'm also angered a little bit at how you talk about Satan. It's Catholicism and Christianity that teaches young children that they are not fit to be right in this world. I just wanted to give you the perspective because the guilt that I have is from, you know, possibly other Christians or from the Jewish concept of you know, well, it's not a concept, but uh, the art guilt and said comes from not doing enough in this life, not born in sin. But I've just, in the last few days, been realized in my heart, praise for the damage done by this idea of original sin. What a terrible thing. And I realize its impact. That's why I just wanted to express that to you. I'm complete. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Oh, thank you, Steve. But you should know, too, this is one of the healing of that. Totally undid that. And in the healing. That's what I was saying. Nothing ever really happened, and um, it was gorgeous. I've written about it um, a few times, and it was so complete. And um, well, I won't share it now; it'll take too long. But um, that was, you know, Jesus says everything is a lesson God would have me learn, and that brought me. I mean, that was such a contrast between what the Course said and what I was taught as a child, that contrast was so... I mean, like, I remember asking a nun once, just as an innocent child, if God loves me, why would he send me to hell? You know, and, of course, the answer came back, oh, it's a mystery. (laughs) It's a mystery. But the contrast and the fact that it never made sense to me um, just made the the healing so much more profound and um, complete for me. So thank, but thank you for that. I appreciate what you said. Yes, Lana, it, it was your share thank that you. stimulated my share. Your 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 share before Lee, and I also see that what you're saying is by contrast the liberation. So it all plays the part because you realize that it's not true. And I, it was your share that got my heart tweaked again. But thank you, Lana, and everybody. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Steve. Hello. Thank this you, is Steve. Roz. That was beautiful. whole discussion has been so um, poignant. Um, I came from a Buddhist tradition where it's about original purity instead of original sin. And the difference is so profound. 
when you think about original purity, the way they describe it, it's like diamond consciousness of source. They don't talk about God, but they talk about source and consciousness and awareness. Um, and it's it just sad to me that we have to, you know, with the idea of original sin, that people have to keep purifying to the point where they'll never purify because originally they're sinful. Though That's who they are, you know. And even in the Buddhist tradition, it's like constantly doing practices to get rid of obscuration to our original purity. And it can take a lifetime. <laughs> but what I love about this work is it's the same idea that we are... This is original purity. And it doesn't have to be about a lot of work. It's just about moving into the present moment and the um, holy instant, which is so liberating, you know. It just happens in a moment. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Very inspiring. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Lee with. Oh, who am I talking over? Thank you. Thank you, Rose. This it's is Lee. Amy. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Um, I had an experience uh, two days ago where um, unexpectedly I felt the projection towards me of guilt and condemnation. And I was really uh, taken aback about how to respond, um, whether to reflect that back and say, um, this is not friendship, this is guilt and condemnation, or to say, I understood, I understood, that's all. And all I could really do was say, I understand, because I didn't know how to lovingly project the idea back that this was guilt and condemnation without me being the source of guilt and condemnation. I actually had mm-hmm. no idea how to handle that. So all I did was say, I understand. But that did not make my heart feel beautiful it I am just saying I tried to do no harm but I really felt I wasn't expressing my true self at all Uh, thank you so much thanks Amy good choice in that situation yes thank thank you you, it's Lee with just uh, Second, uh, second half of my thoughts on this section. This is section three of chapter 19, Sin versus Error. And um, we have in this section a great, great definition of the word attack. And it's the one that I find um, stands out as 
the definition in almost every reference to the word. To attack is to um, is to challenge what's true in reality and to put my faith in what I've decided reality to be on my own. One of the greatest attacks on reality is for me to believe that any action of mine or another can rob myself or another of the purity God created and knows to be so forever about me. If I think that an action can blemish purity and that an accumulation of mistaken actions can really do damage to purity so that purity is lost, then what I've done is undertake an attack against reality. And I've invested in how I undermine my understanding of reality with what I've introduced instead. That's a huge, huge thing. And it's what he's referring to in this section when he says in 18, sin is the proclamation that attack is real. In other words, it's the proclamation that one can really violate the reality of innocence. Do you see how that would work? Sin is the proclamation that attack is real and guilt is justified. Sin is my belief that I can violate reality of innocence and establish that as the truth. My departure from reality by that means is all that he ever really entails in the belief or the word of the word sin. Sin is my belief that I can install an alternate reality, give it and breathe life into it, and organize my whole experience around what I believe that is the upside down and opposite of the abiding truth, both of me and of everything I'll ever encounter here or anywhere of innocence. He describes it in 20 in a different way. The ego's version of reality is an attempt, he says, to wrest creation away from truth and keep what I've wrested away, keep it separate from the truth, and then defend this version of this life and world and what I am, defend it with everything I'm capable of against the intrusion of the truth upon it. Because I sense how different is the truth from what I've established as though it were true. That's why any attempt to reinterpret sin as error is always indefensible to the ego. One final idea. Um, well, after this sentence, <laughs> in 22, there's a sentence that says sin has, sin effectively has persuaded me that I've changed creation from an idea of God to 
an ideal the ego wants, a world it rules. Do you see how if everything as it is right now, genuinely, is an idea of God and whose only features and qualities are those God breathed into it. And I take that utter perfection and innocence and I wrestle it away from creation and I install my version of what everything means according to my sense of separation, my justification for my fear and sense of threat, everything I introduce and I install my version and protect it from the truth. Do you see how he can describe that as wrestling creation away from God and changing creation from an idea of God to an ideal the ego wants, a world it rules? That's madness. Just that I've installed my version of things over and on top of what the truth would reveal to me of everything's unity and its perfection. Um, and my last thought is just to reflect on the fact that according to the ego, the very idea of my perfect purity, the very idea of anyone claiming perfect purity instead of owning up to their guilt is an assault on the truth. It's an arrogant thing to say and that it's more holy for myself and anyone to confess their guilt and own their, um, their absence of innocence. That makes it somewhat clear, doesn't it, just how much in us resists the idea, the very idea of an unassailable innocence as the truth of us and the truth of everything. I'm complete. Thanks, everyone. <clears throat> Thank you, Lee. Wow, that was wonderful, Lee. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Many things you said were beautiful, Lee. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. Oh, hey, good morning, Ida. Thanks, Chris, everyone. Good morning, Lee, Lori, and everyone. That's all I have to say for now. I I did some sleep learning on this call today. <laughs> I'm complete. Powerful stuff. Thanks, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Yes, thank Hi, you, Ida. Sorry, are you? Am I good in speaking? Lana, you're, you're about good. to say something. All right, go okay. ahead. <laughs> I was just making it. Let me just make a quick comment, comment about sure. this section. Sure. Although it's short. It's short relative to some of the other sections we read. I'll tell you, just about every sentence um, in it is teaching me something very important, reminding me. It's just packed full. I, could, I don't think of any one sentence 
that I could ever choose to leave out of this section. It's so impactful. Oh, that's all I wanted to say. I'm complete. Beautiful way to stay. I, that's my experience too, Lana. Thank you. Yes, I agree, Lana. Thank you. Chris. Um, thank you. I just want to elaborate. Beautiful shares, by the way, in so many ways. I'm taking what I love. And, of course, I leave the rest behind. My mind always does that, by the way. Um, not that the rest is invaluable in any way. Um, I place the future in the hands of God. Uh, for me, I'm placing the future in the hands of God when I remain in the holy instant. It's, it's quite a mind discipline to be here moment by moment. Uh, but that really signifies my mind presenting, placing the future in the hands of God. As it says, the past is gone, the future is not yet. Now am I freed from both. And the key word is now. The last thing the ego wants to do is be here now, as Ram Das would say. For what God gives can only be good for good, and I accept but what he gives as what belongs to me. And when I accept that and proclaim it as my own this moment, it's not arrogant, as Marianne Williamson would say, it's humble. You're humbly saying yes to God, to what this statement is saying. Um... So if I'm feeling peaceful and aligned with God in this present moment, is my mind purified? I'm complete. Thank you, Chris. And we are at that time of the call where we especially welcome Share some those we've not heard from this morning. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Chris. That was lovely. Thank you. I have a personal part in, uh, this is Patricia, and writing a dictionary with new meanings of words and understanding the new meanings of words living this course so the word sin had a fun little story one year that stays with me in my relationship to ego and it was when um, my ego realized that sin was her mistake thinking that she had an ability to see and that sin was her experience of being blind and not accepting it. And it was a really profound thing to feel this egoic, oh, you mean absolutely everything I thought I thought? This is that whole thing of what, of course, it made total sense to her 
that every time anybody was applying that word, even herself, that it simply meant we are blind in this moment. So she turns, you know, to this Christ mind, this silent self, which I, you know, the Course has wrapped me in full time. So we have this conversation with this silence with, okay, now that I know, I'm not the one to see. What do I do? And then it's, well, and literally I do this. I make a bowl of popcorn. And I have her sit down. I say, let's just sit back, honey. Let's just sit back and be still and watch what love does with sight. Because that's what love does. Love is the only thing that sees. And oh, my ego has had such a great time with me. It's so wonderful to know. She's really so grateful to know now that she's never, ever been able to see a goddamn thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a tickle. We make popcorn all the time. And I was just doing it yesterday for a crew of people playing with different toppings, like a a salad bar, you know, where they could put different toppings. So anyway, sin got so simple, so simple, when it simply meant that the egos, oh, it's just when they didn't realize they're blind. And how lovely it is to make popcorn and sit back. You know, the ego is really delightful once she realizes this. Thank you. That was good, Patricia. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. Yes, I love that too, Patricia. Thank you. I'll bring my ego over for some popcorn. (laughs) 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 And lots of butter. (laughs) Good morning, Micah. Good morning, Micah. Hey, good morning. Uh, I, w- I was feeling, um, uh, let's see, how to begin on this. Um, well, well I, you know, this idea of sin, it, it, and what I notice is this sense of uh, uh, being this, this sense of an identity. Uh, I love that Mare Baba definition, ego is a feeling of being somebody in particular, and I and I like Patricia how you uh, uh, undemonized the ego and and made a an innocent little child out of it and uh, I think that's the way to tame tame the ego in in a beautiful way. Um, but anyway, what I was noticing about this feeling of being somebody sitting here and what was creating that feeling of an identity in it was a low-grade, um, a dull, low-grade muck that com- included things like sin and guilt and and uh, stories of, that would weave out of, you know, any action I would make. There was like some inter- interpreter in there that always was laying this this kind of grayness on its actions that were kind of, you know, based in error uh, and, and you could say sin. You know, it had, that, it had the subtlest sense of it. 
that there there was some lack of purity in, in who this is. And um, it was kind of curious how that... And, and uh, Chris, I, I loved your share because it... it um, in relationship to the holy instant and being present, uh, that brought a different lens into the moment where I, I really felt like what was sitting here was uh, it just started to dawn, and, and in that dawning, the remembrance came of when uh, the feeling of this is God manifesting in time space, and just as it is, you know, with all its muck, with all its feelings of sin or whatever, um, all of it, that nest of bob wire, I call it, it's, it's right there in the heart. Um, that's where God starts to build it, its nest, you know, right there. And everything becomes, starts to become transformed as this becomes the expression of the divine. And, um, and it, it's in that, that sense of any kind of sin is transformed and lifts out like, like heavy mist in, uh, to the morning sun. And, um, and that idea of, you know, that clear radiant diamond awareness that Roz mentioned uh, you know, is our is our true nature, and and that was the other point I started to get as we were reading this morning was the contrast was really important that I get a sense of what my um, my perfect purity is, and thanks for highlighting that Lee that um, that perfect purity, and for that. Um, I really saw a parallel with what, Lana, what you were saying about you know these bodies are always misbehaving and and the uh, need to kind of move to a different lens where uh, there is no sin. And so I at that point I was moving into the formless and seeing more the reflection of myself, the true self. And so it's the dance of these two worlds, the movement into the true self and then also seeing the transformation in form out of the, the unholiness in the very heart of unholiness, in the very heart of darkness is this radiant, perfect purity. And so both worlds coming together. And um, in terms of the radiant true self, I really I felt this deep need to have a sense of our magnitude. So I pulled out my magnitude pamphlet, and here were some quotes that really started to shine a little light that uh, gave some relief too. At um, you know, Jesus says, "How do you find joy in a joyless place?" And that the emphasis there is on joy. How do you find joy in a joyless place? By, by realizing you're not there. And it's that, uh, and so the, these quotes here, that movement into the spacious self that create that deep sense of peace. But here, here they are from Jesus. It says, I live in God. In him I find my refuge and my strength. In him is my identity. 
In God is everlasting peace, and only there will I remember who I really am. And then, blessed is the Son of God, whose radiance is of his Father, and whose glory he wills to share as his Father shares it with him. As you learn your gratitude to your true self, who teaches you what he is, will grow and help you honor him, and you will learn the self's power and strength and purity and love him as his father does. The self's kingdom has no limits and no end, and there is nothing in the self that is not perfect and eternal. All this is you, and nothing outside of this is you. It's just nice to kind of hold that, you know, turn the lens in the direction of magnitude as a contrast for me this morning. And just, you know, as a backdrop to what's sitting here on the couch, you know, (laughs) And uh, it, it just gives everything a right kind of relationship. That's it. <laughs> terrific, oh, Micah. Thank crazy. you. You are thank terrific, you. Micah. Yes, thank you for bringing that together. This is Ida. Oh, excuse me, one last little thing. I learned that from sitting and having the popcorn, it's simply anything that brings this ego me that would not act out of sin, meaning would not act out of blindness, she's got to go to stillness and quiet. It's the trick of the popcorn to go to the stillness and the silence and then be moved and boy, can she be fierce when moved by love. So anyway, thank you. I'm sorry for that little piece, but it was a powerful part to add. It's not the popcorn. It's the letting go and being. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Patricia. Given the time, Ida, and with with Laura yet to share, um, perhaps a... Um, a brief share would be wonderful. Okay. Well, um, I really like um, um, paragraph 35, which starts, In the holy instant, you will see the smile of heaven shining on both of you. And go on. And, um, and comment on paragraph 29, Time is like a downward spiral, etc. Um, and it, it continues to the next paragraph. Um, um, and it says this one can teach you how to look on time differently and see beyond it see beyond it but not while you still believe in sin Um, because I said that time is like a spiral too and I didn't realize that this part was in here but but it is so I'm I'm just glad that it is and and, uh, I really like paragraph 35, too. It's about the smile of heaven. Thanks. I'm complete. Thanks. I love that section, too. Thanks, Ida. 
You're welcome. Thank you, Ida. Miss Lori. Yeah. Whoops. Trouble with the mute again this morning. I think I'm off now, huh? Am I? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, um, well, let's see here. Had I not discovered the truth, I think this section would have scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. But my experience was, um, my experience was just a flat-out miracle. Just, just a flat-out miracle. And when it happened uh, to me, I thought God had shown me the secrets of the universe and I didn't understand anything. That's how heavily invested I was in the belief in sin, guilt, and condemnation. Um, it rested first on myself and then it rested on the world and and everything. Um, and it seemed... Uh, I love the way you say matching Lee, because that's so absolutely true. When um, when my mind is corrected and the truth of me arrives, the world becomes a screen where what's within is seen without. And um, there's no way I would have arrived at that without a miracle. And having arrived at that uh, place more than 30 years ago now, uh, I think of three or four years I spent after that reading everything I possibly could that trying to find an explanation of what happened to me because uh, my world was turned right side up but um, there I was in the midst of a world that was still wrong side up you know I was very disoriented very disoriented and um, it wasn't until some time later I came upon this book uh, this is my story he's telling it exactly like it is and um, and so all I can talk about now is the love that saved me and um, and I can I can say that that miracle arrived um, because I was willing to give up everything I believed before because it hurt too bad. <laughs> and um, and so that's why today I regard faith as the gift of God. It is the utter gift of God. And I got so sick and tired of myself. <laughs> I had to go for relief. I had to ask for help. Um, I had to ask from the only person I know who could give me help, and that was Christ. And he did. <laughs> and so while it threw me into a world I didn't understand for a while, it filled my heart with love and became all I wanted. It's been a lot of learning since then. <laughs> um, a lot of learning since then. But the utter certainty of the relationship between myself and God is without question and is eternal. 
And that's the whole problem of the ego, is the loss, the loss of that eternal connection with God that is wrought by the belief in sin, condemnation that God could condemn that which he so utterly loves, the belief that we could have ever been cast from where we will eternally dwell in his mind. And and this God of our understanding is less a person or personage than just the absolute essence of love. And so when he says love could not deny itself, this is what makes the matching set, you see. The matching set of the world I see from the world within because love could never deny itself and once I realized that this love relationship um, for which I sought thinking it was somewhere outside of me uh, once I realized that this love relationship will always give me all the help I need because love could never deny itself and accept the truth of that miracle. Um, everything changes. The belief in sin is gone. Oh, it still comes up. You know, I was thinking about that this morning. I was thinking, I think, I think of, um, you know, how your mind does. You think of, oh gosh, if this, I could never forget, forgive that. Or if this, I could never forgive that. Or what we see in the world today, the, the terrible atrocities that, um, that seem to be wrought by guilt, sin and condemnation. We look at that and think, I could never forgive that. But, oh yes, we can. <laughs> oh yes, we can. Because... There is no one without the gift of holiness given in creation. This holiness is is unassailable. I had a simple, crazy idea that God could fail to love me. That's all. When that was corrected, everything was corrected with it. And so what is temptation but to forget? to forget a minute and accept into my holy mind some belief in condemnation. The loss of peace is immediate when that happens. And so I turn once again to Christ's mind and say, please help me. This is not what I would have. This is not what I would have. And he says to me, I will never forsake you any more than God will. But I must wait as long as you choose to forsake yourself. Because I wait in love and not in impatience, you will surely ask me truly, and I will come. I will come in response to a single unequivocal call. Watch carefully and see what it is you are really asking for. Am I asking for guilt? Am I asking for love? Be very honest with yourself about this, for we must hide nothing from each other. If you will really try to do this, 
You have taken the first step toward preparing your mind for the Holy One to enter. We will prepare for this together, for once he has come, you will be ready to help me make other minds ready for him. How long will you deny him his kingdom? In your own unconscious, deeply repressed by the ego, is the declaration of your release as you are internally fixed in the mind of God, and our DNA knows it. God has given you everything. This is the one fact that means the ego does not exist, and which therefore makes it profoundly afraid. In the ego's language, remember to have and to be are different, but they are identical to the soul. The soul knows that you have everything and are everything. Any distinction in this respect is meaningful only when the idea of getting implies a lack has already been accepted. That is why we make no distinction before between having the kingdom and being the kingdom of God. In the calm being of God's kingdom, which in your sane mind is perfectly conscious, is ruthlessly banished from the part of your mind that ego rules. The ego is desperate because it opposes literally invincible odds, whether we're asleep or awake. Who but the insane would undertake to believe what is not true and then protect this belief at the cost of truth? And so I watch my mind carefully. I watch my mind carefully for little scraps of meanness because they're still there. They're still there, those scraps. And without each other, we know they're there. But with each other, we know that truth is shared, that minds are joined, that love is the reflection of the Christ mind here and everywhere. And when I'm weak, you pick me up. And when you fall, I pick you up. And over and over and over again, we help each other on the way to God. How beautiful is that? Just how beautiful is that? So thank you all. I'm complete. That's a beautiful share. Lori, thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. That was beautiful. I appreciate the sharing. Lori, can I ask you to roll right into your clothes? Well, you know what? You sure can. Because I was thinking today, um, let's see where I have it. Because, um, oh, I know. I know exactly where. Because I knew what I wanted to share. And then I knew I wanted to talk about faith. And it's right here. Here it comes. Faith. This is a poem. Remember, faith is the gift of God. It's the great exchange between my version and the truth. It's a poem called Faith. Faith does not begin where fear ends. She comes when you're still lying in the bottom of the gutter, hands trembling, doubts running rampant, sea stormy, breath insufficient, darkness winning, Thoughts blurring, skies fading, more black than blue, obstructive view, no way through. There, in the absence, in the tragedy, in the emptiness, in the wreckage that made its way into the very marrow of your bones, in the fire that could not be drenched, in the thirst that could not be quenched, in the wounds that would not heal, 
in the heart that could not feel, in the broken, the lost, and surreal. That's when she comes. When I see what ego is made of me, I turn and accept the truth, the gift of faith. Amen. Wow, that's powerful. Wow. Thank you, Lori. Really oh, was great. Thank you, everyone. So perfect. Thank you. Really touched Thank where you. I've been. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Beautiful call. Wonderful call. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>